time it is. It's time for the broadcast. Dennis the Menace. That's me! Y'all ready for this? Mount Everest is the world's tallest mountain. Located in the Himalayan mountain range, it sits at a height of 8,848 metres. It's well known for its hazardous nature, taking the lives of many climbers with one in ten successful climbs to the summit ending in death. The high altitude causes most climbers to be seriously ill, where they experience a number of symptoms including dizziness, fatigue, headaches, nausea, vomiting and shortness of breath. These may all seem minor to the common person, but when above 20,000 feet, with limited resources, it commonly claims the lives of these climbers. On the 5th of May 2017, John John Burke was the first Clare man to summit Mount Everest. In this week's episode, I speak to him and his 10-year journey that brought him to the top of the world. Severely overweight and feeling totally unfulfilled, John documents where it all began for him and how he transformed his life. He speaks about the importance of mental health and techniques he used to overcome the Himalayan beast, the fear of death and how he was able to keep any impending thoughts at bay. We talk about the important relationship with his Sherpa and the spiritual nature attached to the mountain. If you're to take anything away from this episode, listen carefully to when John speaks about the importance of mental strength. Regardless of his technical ability or physical strength, this was the main reason he was able to summit Everest. Episode 20, Everest. Let's get this party started. I'm recording here today from the beautiful Spanish Point in County Clare at the Armada Hotel and kindly joined by a man who made it to the top of the world. And uh, all around generally good guy, John John Burke. John, how are you? Great, great. Thanks for visiting Spanish Point. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time out to chat to me on the Dodcast today, John. Why is it called Spanish Point? Uh, so Spanish Point, it comes from the when the Spanish Armada were, were a number of the ships were wrecked off the coast here in 1588. Um, the Spanish invasion was unsuccessful and in the UK and Britain mainland and uh, came out over the top of Scotland and came down along the west coast of Ireland and they kind of misjudged their calculations and they thought they were heading direct for Spain but they forgot about the uh, island of Ireland in the middle. Um, <laughs> I think there were some magnetic differences actually. There's a bit of science behind how they miscalculated. So they ended up kind of landing in on, on the coast of Ireland in what was they think it was one of the worst storms on record at the time. Whatever records they had, they believe from all the books that there was possibly a hurricane even at the time on the, uh, around Ireland or off the coast of Ireland. So the ships were getting smashed up along the rocks and uh, two ships got wrecked off the coast here, San Marcos and San Esteban. And it's, like it's crazy, there was 450 people on board each one of these galleons um, and the one that was closest to shore here, San, San Marcos, was only maybe like 500 metres off the coast here. Um, yeah, they, they most of them drowned. A number of them survived and made it to shore. A handful of them, um, they were captured and la- later executed. But uh, there's a lot of history here around that, and you know the whole history has come back to life because there's a group of people locally. They're diving and they're searching, and they believe they found the graves of of the Spaniards, a tomb in Um 
and they yeah they're 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 actually starting um their first excavations to check for bodies for bones or remains there in the next number of weeks so so we'll really bed down the history of the area then because there's actually been no solid evidence of it only from the history books there's been nothing found to date but the search is very much is is in full steam full flight now so hopefully it's interesting you're saying that because i'm I'm looking in your eyes there to see if you have a a brown tint there (laughs) you're born and bred from uh, spanish point yeah 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 absolutely Yeah. yeah 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 i think that's all myth that there was like a bit of uh, like Spanish or Portuguese genetics around like the west coast of Ireland. I think they've tested that all right, but it certainly has been found. But uh, yeah, I think I think any of the lads that came ashore here were, were well captured and dealt with by the English at the time. We won't say we won't blame the Irish for it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been busy. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy busy few years. In particular, yesterday I'm lucky to even be getting this man today. You had uh, your 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 own event, uh, Wellfest, wasn't there yesterday? Tell us a little bit about that. Yep. So Wellfest was an event as part of um, Elevate. Elevate's a organisation I set up uh, just before, just this time last year, just before I hit, hit Foreverst and. Um, Elevate's working in uh, promoting wellness amongst young people in County Clare. We've done lots of activities. We've done, we've 800 young people put through uh, the .B programme of mindfulness, which has been really successful. 230 through uh, resilience workshops called Working Things Out Too. We've had SOAR workshops. Um, we've had an inspirational speaker with an incredible story, Gavin Hennigan from Galway, um, who rode the Atlantic a few years ago. Mm. Um and then yesterday was a big Wellfest. So we brought, yeah, 250 young people together and we had a lot of speakers, a lot of entertainment, a lot of fun and crack, to be honest. But there was a, there was a few nice deeper moments in there as well with a few good speakers. What was the uh, the age demographic in that, uh, John? Yeah, uh, they were, we brought people through the youth clubs. Um, so the age group was 13 to 15. We took that age group from youth clubs and uh, the youth clubs are amazing. Like they're just... Like there's a youth club down the road here in kind of a more isolated area even than Spanish Point um, in a place called Moloch and they have 120 active young people members wow. there and we really just the main purpose was to kind of support the youth clubs and the amazing work they're doing in like bringing young people together in like the in the rural most rural parts of Clare um, because like you know, in my mind, I think it's young people come together like that on a Wednesday night or on a Friday night that they do it, Wednesday and Friday. Um, I think that's the best thing you can do for their mental health is just to kind of kind of reduce the isolation and trying to get them connecting together in person rather than just over like social media and all that. So it was a big thing to support Clare Youth Services and the youth clubs and, and then just to drive out our own message of kind of wellness and yeah, absolutely. Like we'll talk about your your charity, Elevate, in a little bit, a uh, little bit of time. But mm. as everyone knows in the dog you probably aren't too familiar. We do a little game called association at the start. Right. So as I briefly said to you, uh, mm. it's 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 a word, a phrase, a sentence um, there to catch you out. <laughs> uh, so just first thing that comes to your head okay. and it can be as daft or as wild or as wonderful or even as silly as you'd like. Okay. So we'll get straight into it. Uh, Claire. Uh, the banner. Childhood hero. Uh, Muhammad Ali. The Army. Love to have done it. Fitness. Um, wellness. Youth Fest. Uh, fun and crack. Cheltenham. Losing money. Cats and dogs. Fighting. Or cats or dogs. Uh, dogs. Yoga. Stretching. Drums. Noise. Davy Fitz. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Mental strength. Um, overcoming suffering. Money. Uh, uh, good and bad Singing or dancing? Neither <laughs> <laughs> Bank holidays uh, Extra work 
Yeah, fair enough. One coming up for you there. Yeah. Enough, yeah. Uh, the uh, Easter eggs. Easter eggs, sugar. Favorite film? Oh, Gladiator. Oh, great. And the uh, Cliffs Moher. Uh, Tours. So, John, as I already said, you have a, a, an interesting story to to say the least. Was this a story that kind of like, when did it start for you? Uh, it started for the Everest story started just about ten years before I summited Everest. Um, it was a long, slow journey. Could have been a lot, a lot, a shorter period of time. But I started from a, a very low base in terms of fitness and in terms of experience or anything like that. I like I'd spent no time in the mountains. Um, I suppose I, I had a long period of time from kind of sixteen until twenty nine where I hadn't done any training at all like I'd completely um, uh, yeah I'd, I'd given up all sports I was just really knuckled down to work and, 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 and do you want me asking had you had did you have a few pounds on you at this stage oh I, I had I've, I've I'm going that way again now but it's all right <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't mind you've it. achieved something now so it's all yeah we got to <laughs> tune back into that now again now that you mention it um are, yeah I was living I was like I was super unhealthy like I couldn't have been any unhealthier like I had no idea like every once in a while I'd say I'm going to lose a bit of weight here and I'll go off the rashers and eggs for breakfast and I'll just have toast and butter yeah. and I thought that was like healthy yeah, food yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah, I literally yeah. had I no know, concept like my first like, I remember my first day's training was like I was living upstairs here at work um, and and I was like eating and sleeping work it was like it's just like it was just every time every hour I was awake I was just at work you know like there was no time Seriously. away like I wasn't going out for lunch even or going for know, a walk or in the evenings or anything it was just living and breathing work and um, like I'd take a night off a month and I you know I'd work like like an animal until 8pm and drive to Galway or Cork go out and I'd be back to work the following morning and that was like that was just it for years and years and, is, and is, is that what you wanted to do? No, I, uh, no I was really happy in that space at the time up until a period of time Careful, I don't contradict myself here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, up uh, at a certain point in time, and I, I suppose, I felt that that's where my success in life was going to come from, and I felt like I needed. I, I, I think I'm fairly ambitious, and I, I felt like if I was going to be successful in life, this was my angle. You know, it was the one thing I felt I had a family business I could come back to, get me a head start. If I worked really hard at it, I could excel. I could, you know, I could, I could be the best I could be I could be the best amongst my peers I could you know outdo my peers if this is the if this you know they were going to outdo me they'd outdo me all my life I suppose in terms of sport and academic ability and all that kind of stuff so I said if I'm going to be successful and I hadn't been I hadn't tasted success you know at any stage growing up I wasn't good at sports or anything like that definitely wasn't good academically I said you know my success now is going to have to come from hard work and uh, and that's what I was really that's the place I was in I, like I still don't have any regrets at that time but something had to change at the same time and and I suppose the in, the inspiration from mountaineering came from that like desire to change because I realised that you know while I was getting success at terms of work it wasn't delivering me the happiness or that balance that I needed overall and also, my health and fitness was really bad. And my dad died young and I said, you know, if I'm going to have... Well, first of all, life can pass you by. And you can look back and I didn't think he... Well, he didn't have any time to enjoy his life. But he enjoyed what he was doing, which was just working as well. Um, but I but I felt like I was going to look back and regrets if that's kind of all I was going to be defined by, you know. And, and it was a very short range of definition. And and you mentioned Army there um, as, as the quick fire round. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, like my other career choice was army and I I would have loved to have joined the army I'd like I still am obsessed with everything to do with the Irish army military and all that um 
and I always felt like I took the soft option as well and that I never really tested myself and that like you know I was made of nothing only just the ability to work hard and, and, and do that and I felt like I needed to test myself physically and mentally on a whole different playing field just to see what I was made of and so there was a lot of factors that were coming together here um, and also I suppose you know with success with work which I was I was doing well with work like I had like I had plenty of money coming my way and uh, and like I found that that wasn't necessarily bringing me happiness or fulfillment in any way. So I was well able to spend the money. Um, I wasn't getting opportunities to spend it, but, but you know, I'd spend it on cars or I'd spend it on suits and things yeah. like that. But, like, I was getting zero fulfillment out of that. And I suppose the older I was getting, this, the more I was realising that, like, you know, the money that I was generating from work wasn't necessarily going to give me the fulfillment that I that I needed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just needed to reassess the whole thing. But can you pinpoint a road to Damascus moment where you kind of said you said the age of 29 but was there any particular time that it sort of all came upon you and said I need to do something here with myself I want to achieve something yeah I was um I was I I said I suppose it was that time after after my dad died and um and like I suppose you know it was the first big loss in my life um and I think that's a changing point for us as, as humans um you know, when you have a real big loss in your life, you know, someone really close to you, like you really start asking questions about your life. And it was certainly a big, you know, I suppose when it comes around to death as well, you start asking yourself your own questions, like, you know, what will my, you know, what will it be like when I'm gone? What will it be like when I look back? Um, What, you know, how will I be defined? Like, because I knew how my dad was been defined by people and like, you know, like you're just talking to people for, for weeks and weeks about just how hard, how hard he worked and like he was great fun my dad was great fun so like there was you know endless stories about that but I didn't have his humorous personality and I never tried to have that but uh but yeah it was hard work and it was fun and it was but it was always related around work like people coming in and the time they met him here and the time they met him they were at this event or that event and he was there working um and I, I suppose you start asking your own, your own questions and like my dad had no regrets he was just absolutely happy and content with his life and and wouldn't have changed it I'm sure but it made me ask a lot deeper questions about myself um and and I was certainly looking for something I was certainly looking for something to kind of uh to move towards and I remember reading an article uh from Irish Mountaineers and uh and something just clicked with me it was it was really like a light bulb moment uh, I was they were talking about Everest and there was just something about it that really appealed to me and like it was just that one article and then I read another and then I went uh, got some books and I started reading little bits about it over the space of about a few days or a week um, and, and just everything was coming together that like God this is something I would yeah. just love to work towards this is something that will be like just incredible to, for me to work towards and try to achieve um, and the appeal of Everest I think was very much the the fact that this was a long game that I could, you know, that I could play out over a long period of time, um, that for me I felt I didn't have much skill when it came to sport, that there wasn't any skill involved in mountaineering, you know. It's, I'm sure plenty of other people would beg to differ. Well, with yeah, I suppose. You seem like you're you're extremely hard on yourself. <laughs> been three or four times already, you've, you've kind of put yourself down in, compare, in comparing your your father and even just the comment that you made there. Have people said that to you before? Um, I probably am hard on myself. All right, like I. Uh, I think you're catching me in during a midweek period where I'm kind of in work mode and, okay, and, and I do that at work. Like I certainly do put myself down a lot of work. It is a mindset that, 
that really I had gotten out of actually before I went to Everest and I was certainly was uh, wasn't like that when I came straight back but it's something yeah that you, I have to I have to constantly work on all right so it's something I need to dial back in again because uh, because you don't yeah you can't revel in like day-to-day mini successes if you're hard on yourself Absolutely. like it's just always a battle then and it is a little bit like that again so I am doing a bit of a reassessment of things all right but uh, but I was really aware of it when I came back immediately after I came back from Everest like I was there was none of that but uh, at weekends when I get when I get back into kind of more relaxed frame of mind okay, okay. I find myself super fair positive enough. and no, yeah enough. like by by Sunday evening it's, sometimes I can feel a little bit invincible but uh, no, but then you enough. get a few days into Absolutely. work you it's, get a few it, wallops it's very easy for me swanning down with my big microphone <laughs> and everything's all roses and daisies while you're literally running here and there so no excuse me maybe the question wasn't no fair. no no it's fine no it's interesting because you're highlighting that mindset and it's a very it's one that I'm constantly aware of that I need to work on talk to me about um Dr. Roger McMurrow. Yep. He was a guy that you reached out to a couple of times. He, he um, yeah, t- tell me a little bit about him. So, um, the f- first um, Everest summit here that I reached out to was Roger McMurrow through a, through a neighbour of ours here who, who'd worked with him in, in Black Rock, I think at the time, um, Black Rock Clinic. And yeah, they said, I, I was very, I was really super early on my path to Everest at this stage. But but I think my, si- my sister had said it to them and they said, look, have a chat with this guy. Um, so I went, to, I met him in his house in Dublin and, oh Lord, it was a disaster of meeting. <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, it was one of those moments I'd like to turn the clock back on. Um, I'd gone out the night, I was up in Dublin, up to the big smoke, so I said, sure, we'll, <laughs> we'll go out and make a night out of it. <laughs> so I went out on, went out on the beer the night before, um, went to his house then the following morning at like 10 or 11 a.m., like super early for me. I was kind of very much a night owl at this stage of my life. Uh, plus I had been out on the night before, so my brain wasn't working at all. And I went into his house and I just remember every question I asked was the most ridiculous one. <laughs> and, and at one point he's showing me a picture and he was pointing out, he was pointing out uh, Everest and surrounding mountains and and then this is this one this is Everest and this is uh, this one here and this one here is 8,200 metres and, and he was trying to think of the name and I said oh is that K2 and like K2 is in a different country completely <laughs> to Everest like, and like this one was within like kilometres of Everest and I remember he just looked at me and said you're coming to my house talking to me about it intimidating character as well isn't he he is yeah yeah like he's uh, there's no messing with him he's, he's a great guy he's very uh, he's a good he's a real solid operator yeah. like and I felt like this is like probably the most solid like operator I've I've met um, and here I am coming trying to pick Rolling his brain about Everest and I'm just yeah so so that was one so I hadn't met him again until last week and um and I apologised to him and thankfully he couldn't remember the meeting at all so that was a positive <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably I think I probably walked out of the house and he said that guy is a dreamer do, do, do you think that that was a, a, probably a good good thing to happen to you at the time <clears throat> um, yeah look it, you know plenty of times along the journey I had to ask myself questions about uh, about how serious I was about it and, and that was definitely one of those moments I remember like walking down the street afterwards and saying like if I'm thinking about Everest I'm meeting these people or even just planning it in my own head the last thing like things are going to have to change and nights out before important meetings like that are are, are done and dusted and uh, and yeah look it was it was no harm to get an odd shake up here and there a shake up uh, came uh, in the in the in the absolute image and vision of rocking up Carnatool eight times uh, did that come in the latter stages or the early stages or when did you even first start to do Carnatool uh, so my so when I started training 
um, probably like started reading a few bits of whatever and I'd say like within two weeks of reading that article I was starting my first training session my first training really? session was like running around the corridors okay, here yeah, at yeah. night at like, three in the morning I said sure look we'll go for another sprint around the corridors Stop. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think I I think I do you know what I think I felt so self-conscious about training like and like yeah, yeah, you know yeah, about yeah. just being out been seen out running like you know that like you know like you just sometimes you, you see people and you just want to shout out the window to them just well done you know when you see sometimes people and they look self-conscious out running the road and you just want to say fucking fair like you've nothing to be yeah. self-conscious about but I was one of those like super self-conscious people and it was as much to hide away as to have an easy training session I running up and down the stairs like the three flights of stairs doing things like that and I do like 20 minutes so I did a few weeks of that of of that and then eventually got brave enough to head out on the roads and uh, started running out on the road and built up a bit of mileage and uh, maybe like four or six weeks after I started like really from nothing started training I bought a bit of gear and I went down and booked a guide through Pat Falvey's office Niall Foley and uh, I said to myself like in the back of my head I'll pick his brain about this whole Everest thing like if he works with Pat Falvey he'll know the stories I knew he'd been on expedition with him before and uh, went to Carntool and I was picking his brain and uh, you know all the way up along chatting about Everest 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 and we got to the top of the Devil's Ladder like just maybe just a little bit more than halfway to the top and uh, he said look he said you're you're way too slow and you're struggling along here he said I think we've got to we've got to call it a day I said are you serious and he said yeah yeah he said look you're we're behind schedule and weather isn't looking great and you're moving a little bit slow so he said we'll have to call it a day and I just another one of those kicks in the arse yeah, 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 yeah. um, so Tool was always like the special place for me like it was my first mountain I ever climbed even though I didn't climb it successfully that time and it's a place I'd always go to like I'd kind of do like even like before I'd go climbing a mountain anywhere I'd often do my own like personal pilgrimage to go down there and just have a bit of headspace and maybe you know do a really long day there if I wanted days trainings it'd be there if I had people visiting and they wanted to climb a mountain I'd always bring them to Karen Tool so I'd like I've probably climbed Karen Tool maybe maybe 200 times or more at this stage but yeah about three three weeks before I set off for Everest <clears throat> I set a challenge that I just wanted to keep moving like 24 hours pretty much non-stop and, and Karen Tool was, was the place I wanted to go to so yeah so from 11am on a Monday to 11am and a Tuesday was 8 times in a row which was which was fine phenomenal. Uh, uh, there was uh, and I'm certainly not being cocky about it but there was more in me like that we could have done it more just the weather was bad it was actually really windy and cold and there was snow from Devil's Ladder to the top and like navigation and everything even when it came dark even though I knew the place so well it was like it was really strange um, so I think on a good summer's day there's probably 10 or 11 times in it. if I was back in that condition like I was I was flying it like I loved every I loved every minute of it and it was like it was the you know it was the best boost I could have ever gotten yeah was there a sense of achievement was there yeah I felt like the sense of achievement was that I loved every minute of it like you know that like you know I was just so happy to be there and it just like I trained really hard up to that I like I really been doing everything I could and like you know along with training there was like loads of setbacks along the way you know like you wanted to hit targets or goals Mm. or you go into the gym and it's just not happening loads of setbacks along the way and I just needed that one big victory and like it was the the victory for me was that like I felt like I could have kept going like for another 24 hours you know when it was over that morning now I wouldn't have done another 24 hours but I would have kept going for another yeah. while but I felt that like I f- it was it was it wasn't just physically that I was able to keep going it was just mentally that you know what this is something I love doing because I kind of trained hard and was so much pressure trained so much targets to hit that 
a little bit of the love of what I was doing had been knocked out of it for me like there was just so much pressure preparing for Everest so much risk and worry and all that and then all of a sudden like I just had this beautiful 24 hours on the mountain like where friends came down and joined me at different oh, stages great. and we'd like a base camp at the bottom I'd come down they'd have a tea and maybe a bit of stew heated up and just like the whole experience was just really? wonderful so and it just set me off and I just came back and said you know what I'm going on the mountains and I fucking love the mountains and I'm at the right thing and I should be going out there because this is what I'm this is what, this is what I want to be doing. So it's giving me that real positive buzz. So John, we, we briefly touched touched upon it there um, a couple of minutes ago, just about I mean, is it physical strength or mental strength that you need to climb a summit on a, a mountain like Everest? Um, so the Sherpas say it's uh, about 50-50 they reckon between like being in the right mental space and, and being in the right physical space um, they kind of said that if, if somebody is mentally really strong and physically not up to speed that they need to be forever so they said they feel like they can like get them through it in some way or another okay. you know they feel like that they can get them to the top like that they get themselves to the top but they'll facilitate it um, they said if somebody is like physically like unbelievably prepared like top top notch but mentally in a poor place that there's absolutely nothing they can do for them that like the mindset will just destroy them and that's it no matter how strong physically they are um i i would probably say it's a little bit even more like the mental side of things um like the physical side of things is obviously really important but for me i think like my strongest performance out there was on my mental game um and i'm a long way off being a guru of, of sports psychology or anything like that but I really have like such strong belief now from what I experienced on Everest um, from the work the little bit of work I did but the lessons I learned and just having like the proper mindset out there um, the big mountain I climbed for Everest was called Ama de Blam of 6,812 metres it's about 10 kilometres away from Everest really close and it's uh, an amazing mountain 30 day of an expedition but it a really dangerous mountain prob- probably maybe even a little bit more dangerous than Everest there's like it's f- a lot more technical a lot more vertical we'd say at points and a lot more challenging like that but a shorter trip so it's not doesn't rate as high in terms of endurance um, but when I came back from when I was out in Amade Blam um, I struggled like with my with my mental game I was you know I was afraid I was I was overthinking the mountain um, I was having a lot of like self-confidence self self-confidence issues like by the end of the expedition um, everybody in the group I'd found multiple reasons why each of them was likely to be successful um, and, and why I wasn't going to be like with each person I could pick out you know this like I could pick out two or three real powerful strengths with each person but yet every one of them I was never trying to find the strengths within myself so um, I knew that those kind of now while I summoned them and the blam uh, like I knew that that kind of mindset was going to be really destructive on Everest and especially when you're there for two months like I'd heard about the mindset and the length of time and the like the issues of base camp if you kind of find yourself isolating yourself away from the group or if you start having like you know a lot of those emotions while you're picking out the strengths in other people and, and finding ways that they're stronger for you like ultimately underneath it all you're starting to you're starting to get a bit annoyed with them and you're starting to like you know build up frustration with yourself and you're probably build, building up animosity but with them you know like like on a subconscious level even though you don't want to you're starting to like and that's really unhealthy in a team environment like that um <clears throat> where you're spending so much time together 
so I knew if that was the case on Everest, you know, I was going to be in big trouble, that the mindset was going to destroy me. It was for two months and I was going to get negative. I was going to start isolating myself and the team, time alone in the tent. And, you know, um, yeah, it was going to be very destructive. So I went to see a sports psychologist, Karen Weeks in Kinvara. <clears throat> and uh, we spent a lot of time just talking about mindset and issues I had on other mountains and kind of isolated down to a few really good techniques and tools for me. And she really kind of helped form that real positive mindset, like full of positive self-talk with like, with all with the techniques that I needed myself to try to get me through like tough days or mistakes I might make or boredom or even just like trying to help me to sleep at night because sleep is as we all know such an important part of like mindset and things like that so as well brief us with any of the techniques maybe that Karen um gave to you uh or were they kind of very general or specific to yourself um they're they I, I yeah there were certain things like in advance of going out it was to stay like it was to stay really positive in terms of my preparation so um so like i had like a massive list of things that i wanted to do in terms of like goals i wanted to hit like not only just physically but in terms of organization and equipment and everything else and people i would have spoken to and research i would have done and everything and uh we kind of just started prioritizing goals and prioritizing goal setting. So every time I was achieving something, um, it was it was a positive as opposed to achieving something and just thinking about all the ones I haven't achieved. Yeah. Um, like like simple techniques of not having it on my iPhone, on a note, having it written down so that if I looked at a day that I felt like I had a lot to do and I looked at my list and if there was originally 70 items on it and if I had crossed off 30 of them, you look and you like you can see a little victory there, you know, straight away as opposed to just looking at notes on your, on your iPhone where you just look at 30 items, you don't yeah. see the 40 that you might have crossed off. So, um, so it was small things like that, it was trying to pick out the, the, the key items that meant a lot to me and not just all the items that I would like would, lo- would like to do. It was the ones that were really important to do. So that as the time was clicking, ticking away, um, I could just eliminate items that really aren't that important to me that I'd said, look, initially, these aren't that important to me. So if I don't hit them, they're not the most important objectives. But So let's knuckle down and focus on the real important ones. Um, so everything down to that kind of goal setting and planning was like very important to keep me positive before I set off. Um, <clears throat> then like on the mountain there were there were different techniques um a lot of it was around um would have been around the longer days longer really hard days that kind of just go on and on and on on the mountain and trying to keep the mind mindset right so like there was a bit of like mindlessness um karen called it i don't know how technical her terminology <laughs> was in this but uh we'd spoken a lot about mindfulness and i like i will often try to do a bit of mindfulness myself um, but out there when you've got really long days it's about like being anywhere but the present moment yes. like, it was about being back at work and it was about thinking about work and about thinking about That's jobs you had way. to do at the house yeah. and like so if I had a really hard day and uh, rather than just really being in that moment and like analysing every part of my body and how tired I was like I would go back and start like redesigning my whole house and like thinking about all the jobs I had to do and I have to paint this and I have to do that and if I could call this lad will he do that and will I get literally, this lad in for literally reverse psychology <laughs> literally reverse psychology trying to fill my yeah trying to fill my mind with noise and distraction um, and I found that I found that really good um, there were stranger ones that didn't always work like there was this one that she gave me that uh, that like if I was feeling really thirsty and tired that like you visualise in detail like opening like and I mean 
doing this over 15 minutes like holding a cold can of coke and they're like like the 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 drips of water dripping down along your hand and the hiss when you'd open the can and visualize that you'd drink it your part-time job obviously was for coke as well you know? <laughs> yeah so if i was uh if i was struggling uh, really thirsty and like i couldn't get to my water or something that like by going through all this process and feeling it going down my throat every, that you can actually like rehydrate yourself yeah. mentally uh, but i i never found that too successful i just always crave coke after but <laughs> <laughs> you, you you talk about this laminated a4 sheet of paper yeah. that you had just i mean I'm, I'm sure you touched off a few of the points there but just even very very briefly any kind of quick kind of one words uh, that that are even sentences that might kind of help any of our listeners yeah so well let me see so like for sleep i progress in muscle relaxation like just you know going through each going through each muscle um and and contracting them and holding and releasing and breathing at the same time trying to help me to sleep again that was really like mindfulness in itself it was just like bringing you back so you're isolating just on that muscle mm. your mind and your thoughts um uh, there weren't really like that motivational lines or anything like that there were things like okay. uh, a friend of mine from Galway and I've never told him this but uh, a friend of mine from Galway Peter O'Connell like we had to isolate like somebody that I really admired in terms of their endurance and capacity um, shut up Peter <laughs> and uh, this sounds very strange and I know why I never told him this so I would imagine I was him and I imagine that I had his strength and his power cool. so for a moment like uh, you know if I was really struggling I would like visualise in detail that I could visualise him walking and, and that it wasn't me walking and, and straight away I'd feel like the strength that I associated with him and the power I associated with him I'd associated with That's myself brilliant. so when I moved away from visualising that like I step back and it's like having a camera over me and I'm I'm looking at it just like this outer body experience but where I'm like know where I am but I'm looking at it from a height and I'm seeing Peter moving along the trail and I can kind of take on board psychologically the strengths that I associate with him so it kind of gives me that that's, boost that's so interesting Here, here's a guy summoning Everest <laughs> one at the same time a guy is going into a shop in Kinvara and buying you know, <laughs> eggs and milk or whatever else <laughs> brilliant brilliant um, and then like there was a there was a kind of a, an airy fairy one but it was one that like worked really well for me um, at one point in time I was doing a I was doing an abseil and it was like one of my strengths that again Karen had helped isolate like my strengths that I felt like I was really confident that these were my strengths one of them was my technical ability because I knew I'd more done technically like in the Alps and in mountains like that where it's really technical um, than a lot of the other team members so like abseiling vertical climbing all that kind of stuff I, I felt I was strong and the first day on the abseil like and this was my strength I, my glove got caught in the abseil device and it was so annoying and frustrating and embarrassing and the team were down below and I could hear the laughing and the slagging and the shouting up and all this banter that was going on but for me this was one of my strengths and all of a sudden it was a I was the butt of the jokes so uh, like for me that would have been destructive going forward yeah. like I would have like been trying to get back at the yeah. lads I would have been really frustrated next time I would have hit the abseil my confidence would have been gone like they were nearly having to launch a rescue overhead like it was like now, it wasn't a massive rescue but they would have had to come down help know, free yeah. maybe transfer me onto a new belay device it would have been a mess um, but I managed to free I managed to get myself back down but when I left when we started moving back down the trail I had this technique where I'd visualise that moment like that abseil like visualize lowering out over the edge visualize where my hands were the feeling of the rope in my hands like really make this like a physical thought inside my brain just a little bubble up at the front of my brain um i imagined i could visualize that moment where my glove got caught the hand the feeling of trying to free it the voices down below the voices overhead me um uh the 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 thoughts that were going through my head everything 
and so that it was like really in detail for about 20 minutes and then I just imagined it was like in this bubble inside my brain and that I just saw this bubble leaving my brain and it blew down the mountain with the wind um, and from that moment onwards like that every thought of every detail of that moment had left my brain so if it ever came back to me it was like it, the 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 instinct was it's gone like it's gone it's down the mountain it's blown away there's nothing like I can't even think about that I haven't the ability to think about that I've brushed it all down the mountain so it was like a little bit stranger but for me they were really effective really it's, effective it's, uh, the the fear of death you you talk about these these letters that you wrote <laughs> just before you uh, took off on your expedition with the team um this was something that you decided yourself or, or was this something that, that was, was, was suggested to you? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so managing fear, I suppose, was one of the biggest parts of it. And um, I guess, you know, the most important thing was that I wouldn't let fear dominate my movement or my energy levels or like burn too much energy or increase my adrenaline levels or things like that make me make poor decisions or persuade myself that I was sick when I wasn't or tired than I was or make me make a wrong decision to turn around when there was more in me. So fear had all these like like crazy consequences out there. So you had to really make sure that you managed fear to the nth degree. And like, um, so with Everest, there's a lot of these like hazards that are totally outside your control. Um, there's hazards that are within your control that you've just have to focus intently on to make sure you 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 do things right and then like walking through the Kumbu Icefall you're surrounded by mountains and in 14 2014 there was 16 people killed in one day from just a lump of ice and a lump of ice could be the size of a hotel that fell off um like massive like they're just like parts of like mini mountains falling off the mountains and they're just like it's just plastered onto the side of the mountains it just looks so unstable um and in 15, it was very similar. There was a massive avalanche kind of ripped through base camps from a mountain at the other side of base camp. And there was like 18 people killed in one in one incident. So, and there were talks of aftershocks maybe still kicking off every once in a while. There were still aftershocks from the earthquake in 15. So f- managing fear was really important and particularly going to the ice fall where you were surrounded by these mountains and you were worried was a lump of ice going to break off. So, um, so it was, a, yeah, it was a massive factor. And, and part of that was was uh, death and the fear of death and not to overthink it and not to allow it a moment of I suppose space in your mind so you know the first thing if you feel like you're going into a dangerous place where you might die you know one of the first things you'll think about is people at home and um, and with people at home you'll linger on the thoughts if you're starting to think about do they know this or did I ever tell them that or and you'll think about small things too if you have a lot of time if you're walking through this like valley of death as I kind of called it myself if you're walking through this valley of death for 12 hours or 10 hours like you're going to start thinking about do they know where the spare key of the car is <laughs> do they know like and if you start getting into that frame of mind like you're like you're lingering on death like while you're thinking about all these things so one of the f- things was to write a letter to to my loved ones um, do a real detailed will with like every single detail that I needed to get out like every every detail um and then to have letters to my loved ones to tell them how I felt about them and, and you know, you know personal stories and get everything like that in it. So while you weren't going to, uh, you, you certainly were, I was going out there without any intention to die and where I was going to make all the right decisions and where I felt safe and where I felt I was going to return and I had all these, you know, these were my, my main mindset going out. Um, I also knew that if I went into a dangerous place that I didn't have a reason to linger on the thoughts of death that like, mm. the thoughts of death I could just let it pass by me because 
even if I did die, there was nothing I had to think about. Yeah. Like there was no consequences to it, like of in terms of something that I had to worry about that I should have done or didn't do. That it was just one of those moments that I could just let let it flick by me and say, I've nothing to worry about. I've nothing to deal with here. I'm not going to die. And uh, in the highly unlikely event that I did die, um, everything's totally taken care of. So there's nothing to linger about. So just forget about death. So it's just one of those like weird contradictions where you're persuading yourself you're not going to die, but that you've everything dealt with it. Did it help? Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't, I had a hell of a lot more time uh, spent uh, being afraid and thinking about dying on on Amanda Blam, which was half the expedition and probably, you know, a lot less time on the higher slopes um, than I did on Everest. I spent very little time being afraid or, or worrying about death, which was really like um, the biggest achievement I, I got out of it, yeah. 8,848 metres, yeah? <laughs> yep. I mean, just under nine kilometres up in the air. Surely not that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's you know, it, but for but for the impact of altitude, like Everest isn't isn't the, <laughs> isn't too bad. Like it it is all it is all down to altitude. Like the the final summit push is six days of like really hard going, but it's just six days. But it's when you throw the altitude on top of it, it just it changes it all. Like and uh, and it's the effects of that on your body and, and the consequence of it and your performance and your energy burn and the psychological impacts of it and everything like that. It's just unbelievably, like, it just, yeah. I, I heard a story. If, if, if you cough in, a, in the wrong way, if you have a cough, there's a, there's a possibility that you might even break one or two of your ribs mm. while doing so. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything on Everest, a tiny thing on Everest can become a massive thing. Like, a tiny thing down here would be a massive thing on Everest. So things like toothaches or, like, small little tickly coughs, like if they start getting worse in any way, it's massive. So like the air is so light and and the air is so dry and so cold that um and I had pro- small problems with coughing, small problems with my lungs, and I could feel like my chest was burning off me and my ribs were re- getting really sore. And one of our guys had to descend from coughing. He had to descend really? for about a, uh, like a week of recovery at lower, greener pastures where they believe the oxygen levels were higher and um, to try to recover because it was just like he was absolutely he was like. He was rolling in a ball every time he'd started to, to cough. Um, and yeah, people like it's a regular thing for people to crack lungs or, or like little bits to cough, to cough little bits out. So things like that becomes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, horrific. Your, your, what did you say the name of your Sherpa was again? Uh, so Mingma was the lead Sherpa on our expedition. Yeah. And, and you had uh, been paired with Mingma a couple of times before the, before your actual main uh, maiden voyage, hadn't you before? Yeah, I had uh, climbed with Mingma on on Amade Blam and I'd met him before on a few different mountains like he was training in different parts of the world where I would have met him and things like that so he was a great guy Mingma yeah yeah incredible did did um did you say what did you say he he summited Everest 17 times before that or uh so his himself and his brothers six of them are are, are Everest climbers okay. which is incredible so they're in the Guinness World Record book for most number of siblings on on the summit of Everest um at any point in time I think they timed a one year that there were like five of them on the summit at the same time which is incredible and Mingma has climbed it uh, 19 times <clears throat> interestingly he's kind of retired from now even though like there's way more climbing in him um, like he's he was he's unbelievably powerful still like a small man but unbelievably powerful um, he climbed with Peter O'Connell the year Peter O'Connell was out there Peter was the first man from Connacht to climb Everest and uh yeah, Peter, he he 
conducted rescues. He rescued a Sherpa and a client from like above Camp 4, which is incredibly hard to do. After bringing, he summited with Peter, came back to Camp 4, like anybody would be absolutely shot at this stage. And he climbed back up to halfway to the summit from Camp 4 and rescued two people and came back down again. Now he had to lead them down. They still had energy. You wouldn't move them if they didn't have energy. Um, but he could certainly break the world record, which I believe is 21 or 22 now, maybe after last season for a Sherpa to climb Everest. So he's been climbing since he was 18. Um, but he went, we went, he went for his blessing about three years ago. And the Lama Geshe, the, the priest, the Lama that we visited for, for, or that we all visit for blessings out there. Um, Buddhism, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the Buddhist uh, Lama told Mingma that he didn't feel it was safe for him to climb anymore. Really? And that was enough for, for Mingma to hang up his boots and, and retire from climbing Mount Everest, which was, you know, he was always, he was absolutely well set to break the record and to hold the record maybe for a long time, which would be like an unbelievable status symbol within the Sherpa was, community. Was the was resentment within him because of that? No, total contentment, total contentment that, that, that I suppose uh, the Buddha I suppose had passed on that message to him the Lama Geshe had passed on that message to him that he had done everything that he could while he was supposed to climb um, and I think you know they don't think about death but like I'm sure in the subconscious like to have climbed ever so much and, and to have retired from it I suppose safe and in one piece and everything like that um, to have taken Lama Geshe's I suppose for a way for him it was that like he survived death I suppose that that, mm. that Buddha was Lama Geshe was telling him that it was no longer safe and he'd survived it. It was uh, He was very content with it, yeah. Are, are you a religious man yourself? Um, I got fairly religious while I was out there. Yeah. Um, or more spiritual, would you say? Yeah, certainly more spiritual. Um, you're surrounded by spirituality. Uh, the Sherpas are unbelievable. This, this, The prayer ceremonies are really special. The blessings from Lama Geshe, the blessings all along the way. Every time we left base camp, um, they had a, an altar built at base camp, which took them weeks to build. Um, out of stone they gathered stone and, and chipped it away and built this beautiful altar and every time we'd move up the mountain at midnight he'd often leave base camp during the night um, they would burn branches they'd say prayers there was a, a lama in our climbing group um, who was who would who would put on his robes and say prayers for us and then put on his climbing gear and move up the mountain <laughs> with us as you do <laughs> is there anything to be said for a mass? <laughs> um, so uh, I remember on the final summer push I was leaving uh, we'd left we'd done our blessing and we are just entering in through the ice fall which is the most dangerous the mm-hmm. ice fall the very bottom and the very you know the top 800 metres are the most dangerous um, and I was moving through the ice fall and it just it was just this sh- uh, kind of dark valley of, of and it was after this I got to the kind of valley of death but I just remember I kept saying the prayer yet oh I walked through the valley of the shadow that I should fear no evil and I was uh I was just going through my head like in a mantra. I was kind of like 30 minutes into it before I even triggered with me that I was saying it. So it was one of those, uh, yeah, it was one of those many spiritual moments that I kind of had on the mountain where you kind of believe in something bigger and you kind of turn to it, I suppose. And you, you hope that it'll help, it, you hope that it'll help you get through it. And you you, you did just that. You you finally summed it. But there was a little uh, anecdotal uh, story that I heard that it was a little bit of a... Uh, uh, impatience by you before you had to sum up because you were waiting around for a while and you went off to do a bit of a, a journey before you were eligible to go up and actually climb the mountain is that correct uh, yeah yeah there was a good bit of waiting around and like a base camp you're just firing the calories into yourself so you're trying to just constantly keep the fat levels up because <laughs> you'll just that was uh, difficult for you yeah. 
because <laughs> uh, you will dis- like you'll disintegrate away unless you're taking on board the calories so so I was just eating and eating and eating and we kind of like five days without any exercise or any movement like waiting for the weather to break and waiting yeah. there's two factors the weather to break the winds to die down and the uh been the the number one factor and then the sherpas fix the ropes to the summit and then everybody kind of gives everyone the green light to follow on um so there was nothing happening and there was like massive frustration like all out rows breaking out of base camp but i needed to burn some energy and kind of just activate the kind of lungs and get everything moving so i went to climb kalapatara came back at 4 p.m um it was about six hours maybe return trip from base camp but i like it pushed hard on the way up i was like my was legs this by yourself um it was myself and one, and one other person and there was climbing everest as well one of our team and uh but i remember i got like this competitive burst like on the way up kalapatar i was like i'm going to be the first at the top kalapatar and there was a few other people on the trail and i just burst out like and i was i was jelly like i was literally like stumbling when i got to the top of this mountain like my strength was gone from the legs and uh got to the top and then grand and handy coming back down right back to base camp at 4 p.m and the sherpas came in at like half four and said we're having a meeting at five and i was like jesus this is a summer push like you know and i just felt so angry with myself like the last like like running a marathon before playing a county final or something like that it was like just the most stupid thing you could do so I came back shortly at five, sure enough at five o'clock the meeting was had and after a big introduction um, talking about weather and opportunities and sometimes you don't get too many opportunities, you might get another opportunity once the weather breaks. We believe the weather is going to break in the next four days and we've heard a secret that there are a team about to fix the ropes and we believe this is our best opportunity to sum Mount Everest before anybody else leaves base camp, get out before the other teams and let's get up there. And they said that the... the downside is we have to leave at midnight tonight so this was at 5 p.m so psychologically all my prep that i planned to do for days before the summer push and organizing my gear and all that was gone it meant there was no sleep before the start of the summer push which was you know a bad starting point literally like nearly where you first started up in dublin after coppers <laughs> <laughs> exactly full circle yeah. here <laughs> that was good training for this wasn't it? <laughs> so uh so so the, the summer push was starting at midnight and they said we also don't have the rest day we'd planned at camp two so we have to push on for straight on from camp two so I was like it was like just that perfect storm of like this is the worst start I could have <laughs> wished for like I'm tired I did a big training day I don't have time to plan my gear my like next thing I started messaging people at home to tell them don't say it don't put it up online but we're going for a summer push um, and next thing my wife I went and I had all this like like just real like emotionally got walloped like in every sense uh so like like buying wi-fi at base camp is like dealing drugs or something like <laughs> you're like going around like whispering has anybody got wi-fi <laughs> and they're like the lad at the next camp might have it ask ask, ask for pasang <laughs> and you like go over is there a pasang here the pasang appears out of a tent you say if you got wi-fi just want give me a small in <laughs> i just need it i need it <laughs> yeah so i managed to get like a quick hit of 10 megabytes of wi-fi <laughs> of him so like while other people are organising their gear I'm there like fucking chasing around for Wi-Fi for like an hour like longer <laughs> so straight away like everything was going against me and uh, and and I really had to dig deep like I literally I kind of had a mini like well, I say I had like four or five weak moments on the mountain across the whole like two months on the mountain and this was like one of my weakest moments it lasted like 10 or 15 minutes like where I was bawling my eyes out like I just felt like this is like what have I done like this is everything this is my and I also felt an unbelievable amount of pressure from social media because I started like using social media as my blog and I went from like 300 followers on Instagram to like thousands of these anonymous people that like but at the same time like 
ridiculously I felt like a responsibility yeah, to deliver to them yeah. like I brought them along this journey and like how am I going to like I say know, I didn't I sum it and, and then like not being able to say goodbyes because the wi-fi was down but anyway I, I, I got the wi-fi back I rang the wife she stayed she stabilized me settled me down I pulled out my sheet of paper I, I, I reinforced all the positive things I needed to but like it was now 9 p.m and we were leaving at midnight and I had like three hours to kind of get everything organized get my gear organized eventually I'd like I'd say 45 minutes where everything was done. I listened, put on my headphones, listened to some classical music, like brought myself away into the middle of that orchestra, I visualized every instrument and that felt like rest. And next thing, then it was time to move again. Um, and the summer push was, it was, I suppose it was very challenging. My stomach shut down after we moved from base camp to camp two and I tried to start eating at camp two and my stomach started rejecting all the food. Um, and that was like the biggest cross I to bear on the mountain like throughout all the expedition was my stomach for, from camp 2 to the summit and back down to base camp you wanted to shit yourself and <laughs> not been able to take food to be able to <laughs> but uh, no nothing nothing would hold down like nothing like really? energy gels like even water I was like planning 2 litres of water a day oh, I was stop. like okay. on like a third of a litre of water um, every time I tried to eat something I'd start dry retching like it spit it out oh, I'd start really? dry retching yeah, yeah. and it was triggering a coughing and the coughing was getting worse and I was worried about my lungs and my ribs oh, and uh, I was burning on the higher camps Alan Arnett who's the kind of guru on Everest says like between 15 to 20,000 calories a day and I was like look I'm going to take my plan was take on board Tw- 20,000 calories a day yeah you like what? you're just like your system is just firing like you're resting 20,000 calories you're, <laughs> you're resting heart rate at camp 4 they say is about 120 beats a minute like resting no just sitting way. in your tent so like your system is just firing like just burning through energy oh like burning through muscle burning but like yeah it's going to burn through muscle anyway but I was hoping to get 4,000 just to keep the whole system ticking yeah, over yeah, yeah, and I course. like I think I was taking about 300 calories a day so it was like a disaster like I was just f- like fought. like I could hear I could feel now I know it's your expertise I shouldn't be talking about uh, the technicalities of no, what was no. going on inside my gut but like there was noises there was clicking there was turning there was like I could feel my gut like twisting and turning and I lost about on that like final summer push I think I lost probably about 15 kg over those period of days like I oh literally disintegrated god. like and uh, oh my god and the dehydration and like I was like falling apart up there like and it was so hard and, I, and I, when I was when I used to eat my food like you, you lose appetite up high so I used to always say this is my nutrition this is my recovery this is my energy it was like my mantra to make the food positive another like mind trick that I was using and uh and all of a sudden that positive that I was going through was became this negative that like this is my nutrition, this is my energy, this is my recovery was puked up all over my sleeping bag. So like psychologically it was an extra wallop as well. But um but like the body is phenomenal, like and at that slow burn energy pace where you don't need like a massive burst of energy, where it's just like that constant burn. Um, like the body can just like take the energy from from all parts. Um and and that and that's what it did. Like I just, you know, you could just just kept plodding along and moving along and getting one step in front of another and like the body just kept fueling it and I was I was amazed by it like I was like would I have thought that I could have done it without any of these like packets and packets of energy gels that I'd researched and I'd calorie counted and knew how it was all going to work and would I have thought when I was planning to go out there that I wouldn't that I would summon without taking on board all those calories but just the body is unbelievably resilient and powerful and it yeah it got it got me there I mean so you <clears> summited <throat> absolutely phenomenal stuff like what was was it was it just sheer exhaustion? We're like, I'm just gonna go to sleep here. Like <laughs> I, I can't. I didn't know this part of the story that mm. 
and you, you're finally kind of you've made it um, mm. but then you look down you're like oh I have to go down there now <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah the like the weird thing for me on the summit night was it wasn't one of my worst days like considering all the like factors that had led up to it I, I had acclimatisation days beforehand where I was like way underperforming from what my expectations of myself were mm. like where I believed I should be in the pack you know in terms of my movement and speed I was like way way underperforming like I could have fallen apart mentally from frustration with that but I kind of managed to stick with it and, and try to stay positive and I stay positive and I always kind of just reminded myself from experience the mountains like you will have these bad days and then you will have a good day now I wasn't getting too many good days at this stage but I kind of kept saying to myself look don't worry like the good days will come you know a bit like your mental health and everything like that I say that like the good days will come like you just have to get through the storm sometimes and and literally some days I would I would fall apart I, I, my Sherpa said to me they knew I was struggling they'd say look leave the front of the pack get yourself that psychological boost that you're ahead of the pack and I remember one day like I burst out of the camp all psyched up I'm staying at the front of the pack today and within 300 yards I had to fucking sit down and strip off like I couldn't breathe and I was like and they were all past me and I was at the back of the pack this was the one day that I said I'm going to stay at the front of the pack but but on that final summit night um, just things worked like you know the body was working even though I wasn't getting energy it just worked and I I performed really well I think I was the second to the summit um, even though I'd mixed up my sum, my departure time they had said uh, they said summit at 9pm summit at 9pm they were saying I thought that meant like get up at 9 wake up at 9pm to go for the summer we only arrived into camp at 6pm so there was no sleep but but they actually I had my headphones and I didn't hear people getting up next thing they zip up and they said come on we're going and it was 9pm and it takes about 45 minutes to get geared up and I was like I thought it was wake up at 9 they said no leave at 9 so I started off at the back um, and I was just the body just clicked into action and at the top um, I I was uh, what was the emotions like I suppose about two or three hours out from getting to the summit um, I got a good view of the summit I felt okay I felt strong the sun was hitting my body I was warming up a bit I felt really cold earlier in the night um, and I just started feeling really positive like I just like I felt really positive I felt the sun was positive the energy was good I was moving well I could see the summit and for the first time since I set out on the journey for Everest I said I'm going to stand on the top of Mount Everest so it was like it got really emotional for me I wasn't crying around them, but I just felt like really positive and then when I eventually got to the top I just like I fell down felt totally emotional totally relieved totally satisfied um is all these like unbelievable whirlwind of emotions that like you think is going to happen to everybody that stands on the top but most of the time you're just wrecked and tired and people are thinking about getting back down and they're worried and all these kind of things but for me I kind of did get to like have that really special moment at the top now it lasted for about for about five minutes I spent 25 minutes on the top and for five minutes it was that ama- amazing all those amazing emotions best uh, thing whatever uh, it was pretty good like yeah pretty good my my wife said she'd marry me yeah was. yeah I'll put it on mute for a second <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just speaking about your wife you dedicated the summit to your wife didn't you yeah yeah it was um, like it's a big ask for people at home you know for training and preparation and like it's not even all that I know it doesn't sound like sacrifice not being able to go to things or not being able to go for nights out or like but on the longer on a longer term plan where you're 10 years messing around with this like I wasn't always training forever so I'd, like I'd be I'd be preparing for a mountain or training for a mountain maybe 6 months out of every year um, and there was a lot of like I call them sacrifice she said they're not sacrifices they're just just life it's just something I, I, I do for you uh, no problem but for me they were like sacrifices for our relationship for me to be out there for the worry for her to have to come to base camp she came out twice with me she came out before and she came out this time me um and like it became a big part of our life that she was willing to like let in 
let in that she didn't need to and you know she was never going to stop me but not only did she do that she like she became the point of contact she became a support she became like uh, a wealth of information for all my family she became the go-to person for the answers like for a lady who had never wanted to know about a mountain um like it was a big uh, it was a big it was it was a massive effort so yeah i dedicated the summer to to, to my wife yeah from my uh, very limited not limited knowledge of uh, of climbing mountains um mohills more so than anything um I found that the, the descent is more difficult than, than, than the actual ascent because, I mean, you're kind of building yourself up to get to the top and then all of a sudden you're kind of so physically and emotionally exhausted, which you were. Mm. How difficult was to get mm. to the very end, or to get to the very bottom? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the riskiest part of, of the climb on the mountain is the descent. Um, and every time from all your climatization rotations, you're up and down, you're always worried about the descent. There's a number of reasons, like, but for example, the, the bottom part, the combo icefall, probably the most dangerous part that I've mentioned like when you're coming through that on the descent it's during the sunlight basking sun and uh, and it's way far more unstable so you're f- that's when the avalanches are going to happen and things like that um, when you're up at the top and you're looking back down um, you just realise how much it's taken you to get there um, and physically to get back down it can be quite frightening um, I was prepared for that I spent the five minutes celebrating and basking in all these emotions and then 20 minutes really worrying or not worrying, really focusing on getting back down. And I had my techniques where I was going to dial back in that like how my legs were going to move and the abseils and how I was going to focus on every abseil and every movement. So there is that moment where people can feel like they've they've achieved it, they've hit the top and their brain can totally dial out from exhaustion and from the effects of altitude and everything. Their brain can really dial out and become very unsafe and really tune out of the... The, the techniques that you need to be safe with and like even if you can imagine moving up a mountain if you fall you're going to fall onto the mountain whereby if you're moving down a mountain and if you take a trip or a tumble or something as simple as that if you're moving down the mountain that's where it's going to be a lot more dangerous that's where you're going to fall down um, so it was very much uh, uh, yeah really dial it all back in I I my my mind was still sharp like I didn't feel the effects of altitude as much as I thought I would on that final summit night and my energy levels were were depleting quick so from summit back down to camp four I performed fairly well I got back to camp four I was first back to camp four not that it's a race but just in terms of like gauging my personal performance um I was first back so I knew I was performing well back to camp four uh, from camp four back down to base camp I was falling apart again I had absolutely nothing left in the legs um I was last back at base camp um, from the expedition. Uh, we had all left. We'd moved down together, as you said. So it was from camp two back to base camp. I was the last and I was just like, my legs were absolutely empty. Um, but my mind was still good. I could still focus on, on technique and I could still focus on, on keeping that safe. Um, it, the predominant memory I have is just dehydration coming back down the mountain and just like, I, f- I felt, I was starting to feel like it was life or death for me. I started to feel like if I, wow. that I needed to drink and the, like if I drank coke I was back to cans of coke um, I was literally just going to say yeah you know <laughs> back to cans of coke, the coke and, yeah. and I, I like I don't I don't drink soft drinks normally but when you're out in Nepal if you have a good day the Sherpas will celebrate with a can of coke they'll bring it in it's like they're uh, and also if they're tired they will have coke like that's their energy gels and protein shakes and yeah, everything yeah, they yeah, believe yeah. that that's brings everything. them everything okay. um so I was starting to go back to my dealing days. I was starting to wander around and start to ask, like when we were resting at camps, sharps, do any of them have cans of Coke? Um, 
because I wasn't able to drink water and I felt for some reason I probably would have puked up the coke but in my own mind I felt that I could hold it down because I'd associated with all this refreshment for when we had had hard days and um, and yeah I would have given my right arm without a doubt for a can of coke I remember thinking that like if somebody offered me a can of coke and said we're going to have to chop off your right arm for it I would have, would have done d- it certainly time. taken wow. it um, to the sharpers I was willing to offer them I had a figure in my head that I'd paid like any money but I was going to say a thousand dollars to them for a can of coke no way that they would like start radioing and maybe get somebody to bring one up the mountain um I'd offer them a hundred dollars because I didn't want to insult them just in case they couldn't get it. And <laughs> yeah, they'd say there was the thousand dollars I could have made. That was a year's income if only we had a can of coke. <laughs> so I didn't want them to be kicking themselves. <laughs> so I'd offer them a hundred dollars for a can of coke. Here's a, here's a lovely man dressed in a beautiful, you know, lovely watch, lovely shirt and tie and everything else in front of me today. And he, and he said, thousand for a Coca-Cola. <laughs> I can only imagine what you were like. <laughs> I think uh, I think in hindsight, like I say, my mind didn't get too affected. I think when I was thinking all these thoughts, that like well, I was gone delirious. Like I was definitely gone a little bit delirious. So anyway, the coke never arrived, but we managed, <laughs> <laughs> we managed to get Just back FYI. down. <laughs> and uh, the I, I arrived back into base camp, and Mingma, who who once stepped foot on the mountain after after speaking with Lam Ageshi a few years ago, he came back into just where the mountain starts from base camp, and he came back in with like a big bottle of coke for me, and oh. I just felt like one of the, that the Formula One moment, except I wasn't going to spray it in the air. <laughs> this beautiful bottle of drink, where I was on my podium after succeeding with this bottle of coke. And, I'm just uh, have to put a little disclaimer: we're not sponsored by Coca Cola today. So, so, so. and all I got was indigestion <laughs> I started drinking it and my stomach was so unstable I was wretched and indigestion <laughs> and it was never going to be a solution but okay so we'll, 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 we'll move past the Coca-Cola yeah. stage now you got, you, got, you got there in the end yeah 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 great and when I say the end you, you, got, you got to the bottom of the mountain finally yeah, yeah what absolutely. did you do did you, did you like do you hug the mountain? Do you kiss the mountain? Do you kind of bless the mountain? Do you say thank you mountain? Or how, how does it happen? Yeah, we um, got back into base camp and I suppose we had a party. We broke out yeah. the whiskey and things oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. A Kaylee uh, happened, huh? So we had a good party. We were one of the first expeditions up this year. So like we were totally selfish about the noise levels we were making too. But uh, yeah, we had the tunes going. We, we we had whiskey. We were drinking whiskey. I was doing my best impressions of Eminem. Um, <laughs> That was the sing song, nobody culture like Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> the Sherpas were doing lovely Sherpa dances and I was doing Eminem. But uh, so we had a great celebration. I just felt totally relieved. Like I just remember just messaging my family, just having that unbelievable feeling of like emotion. Um like it was I, I never felt unsafe at base camp, but it was like my mind had got me through what it needed to get me through on that six days where I didn't really feel afraid. Um and all of a sudden, I remember starting having all these thoughts about base camp that, like, this has gone too good. Like, base camp is going to kill me now. And uh, really? it was weird. Like, I, I, uh, I felt totally satisfied. But at the back of my mind, I was like, something's going to go wrong now. Really? And uh, I think it was like my subconscious, like, all of a sudden had switched off all the hard work it had, it had done to trying to fight off fear. And, like, at the back of my mind, I'd stopped using all these techniques. I was in celebratory mode. My mind had switched off from all these techniques. And... Uh, and I wasn't sleeping much. I actually couldn't sleep um, at base camp. And I'd slept, I, my sleep worked really well on the mountain for me. And I remember being inside my tent after having our night celebrations and totally satisfied. Everybody else passed out, like wrecked from the summit attempt. Every completely passed out. As four or five in the morning, wide awake inside my tent. And I started nodding off. 
And I remember hearing this voice in my head saying, get out, get out, get out of the tent, get out of the tent. And my, my wife's voice shouted me to get out of the tent. And I was like, this is it, this is it, this is it. And I jumped out of my sleeping bag, put on like the, the flip-flops I had. I didn't have time to put on boots. And I was just waiting for the avalanche to hit fucking base camp. Stop! Uh, it was like, it was the strangest thing. I think it was like, I think it was post-traumatic stress of some sort. Um, and it was might call it the fear. The fear, <laughs> And, uh, from all that uh, Johnny Walker yeah. uh, and uh, it was the start of it I had like nightmares for about seven days after that um, and I had lots of nightmares and like real detailed nightmares of avalanches hitting me pulling me down the mountain things like that but it was it was my mind had got me through everything it needed to get me I through know, yeah. and I was just totally amazed by this I was just totally impressed and you know blown away with like how all these thoughts hadn't hit me when 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 I didn't want them to hit me when I like on the mountain when if you started having these thoughts you were going to be wrecked like you wouldn't be if I couldn't sleep in the mountain I was going to be destroyed um and that like when all the danger when the job was done and when I managed to kind of switch off that part of they my brain that it just in. let it out like it just let it out and and sure enough like when I was back home for a few days the first few nights I was waking up shouting inside the bed and grabbing the bed <laughs> and totally disoriented waking up for like a minute solid but um but like it wasn't it wasn't a scary feeling it was just like a, an amazement feeling that okay, like okay. that I got that I was able to deal with this when I was in when I was in safe zone Fantastic. I mean, we're still in surely celebratory mood now at the moment anyways. Like, and all I can say is absolutely phenomenally congratulations to yourself. That's <laughs> what an amazing achievement. I mean, and what a great story as well. Uh, and what a great Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> we're going out now for a kind of Coke. Let's, let's, we're, we're actually coming very, very, yeah. very, very soon to the, to the end of the interview. And, and, and I mean, I've tremendously enjoyed this. I hope the guys listening at home, sure they have. I've, I've got some serious little lovely anecdotal passages and pieces to come come from this but t- talk to us a little bit about your 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 charity that you've set up and created yep so uh, elevates the big project now uh, i guess uh, um everest was on the cars and took a lot of time for for a long time and elevate something that i've thrown myself into since just before going to everest but but headlong since we came back and it's working with uh, young people in Clare all around their wellness space of wellness it's not the more serious aspect of mental health it's very much around the wellness space so we've done mindfulness with 800 yeah, young people in Clare so far um, 230 have done a resilience program we've partnered up with great organisations like Clare Care and we've uh, funded for Clare Care to do with 230 young people um, our welfare we've supported mental health weeks in schools with Gavin Hennigan, the Roar, he did a tour of Clare, visited, uh, did 14 talks in Clare, um, inspiring people with his amazing story. Um, and a lot, lots more to come with a social media component that we're hoping to roll out soon around exams and exam stress and things like that. So something that's really good and there's great, unbelievable energy behind it in, in the county. Um, I learned a lot about my own mental health in the preparation for Everest. Um, you know, in the middle of my prep, I, I during the recession, I kind of gave up mountaineering for a period of time and I've realized the impact that had on my mental health and we've had our own issues in my family with mental health with tragedy through through mental health and I'm very conscious of you know the the scale of this issue of of poor mental health in Ireland and the, the impact it's having particularly on young people and it's just something that myself and a few people are really passionate about and we're working hard on and hope we can do a lot more good work on it but it's it's uh, it's great fun too. We're meeting a lot of great people and working with great people. Tell, tell us, tell us your platforms. Where can guys check check a little bit more out, out uh, about um, not just the Wellfest that you that you had yesterday, yeah. but also um, <clears throat> uh, Elevate itself. Yep. So we're on uh, Instagram, 
Elevate Foundation and our website's elevatefoundation.ie um, and on Facebook I think we're Elevate uh, Raising the Banner for Youth Wellness well, listen, all, all that's left to stay at this stage is, John, thank you so, so much for, for spending the, the, the last uh, last uh, hour with myself talking uh, talking about this phenomenal jersey. I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm honestly speechless. It, it's been absolutely phenomenal and fantastic talking to you. Um, I really don't even know what to say. Thank you very much for your time and for your effort, and and may everything you're doing be, I'm sure, it'll be a fantastic success. And thank you so much again for everything. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for asking the questions. <laughs> this is the Dogus, folks. We'll see you again. Thanks very much.